Welcome to Win Win, a podcast from the Department of Sport and Exercise Science at the Waterford Institute of Technology. I'm your host, Bruce Wardrop, and in each episode, I'll be chatting with someone who works behind the scenes in sport, helping athletes maximise their performance potential. If my guest is winning, hopefully their athletes are winning too. In this episode, I'm catching up with Dave Malone, Performance Director with Paralympics Ireland. Dave, welcome to the show. It's been a long time since we spoke and I am genuinely delighted that uh, we're getting the chance to catch up here today. How are things going for you? I suppose post-Tokyo, how are things going? Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, great to be on. Uh, thanks a million, Bruce. Uh, it's been a long time overdue, but it's, um, yeah, things are going uh, well, I suppose. Um, it's kind of a, a unique time right now when you come back from a, a Paralympic Games as a a host of, I suppose, reflections and debrief processes that take place. And at the same time, we're in the midst of performance planning for Paris. And uh, so it's a unique space we're in right now with the, obviously the postponement of the games due to the pandemic. Um, so we had a five-year cycle there leading into Tokyo. And I suppose right now we're just coming off the back of a break to try to re-energize. And then you're straight, you know, straight back into uh, key elements of our debrief process and then future planning for the power cycle. So, uh, yeah, so it's pretty dynamic space right now. So there's lots going on and uh, just trying to keep up with everything is the, is the challenge at the moment. So, well, let's let's talk about that a little bit more. So you've, you've had a break, you've had a, a little holiday. And I suppose during that time, you you like you mentioned there, you'll reflect back on on, on Tokyo uh, what went right, what went wrong, and, and now you're in a debrief. So, uh, as, as as performance director, what's 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 your role in the debrief? Um, I suppose my role is very varied. So, um, I suppose my context in a debrief is across multiple um, roles and responsibilities, and uh, a number of key objectives that we'd set into the games. So, um, I'd be responsible directly for para swimming and para athletics, which are sports that Paralympics Ireland govern. And then some of my other responsibilities is sports supports to some of the other sports that are um, have performance systems in place, such as paracycling. So I would be supporting elements of their performance plan. Uh, and then we'd have games delivery as well. So some of my key objectives around that actual um, context of the management of the games delivery within Paralympics Ireland. So in a debrief process, there's multiple, I suppose, stakeholders um, performing elements of the debrief. So my role would be spread across uh, multiple debriefs, uh, one for athletics, one for swimming. We have our sport science, uh, Sport Ireland debrief. We're doing our own PI, uh, or Paralympics Ireland internal debrief as well. Um, so there's huge, um, I suppose, demands, I suppose, on on the reflections and, and ultimately, look, what were our plans going into the games? Did we deliver? You know, what were the gaps? And ultimately, what can we learn better from that experience to help us to perform and prepare better for the next cycle ahead? So um, so a lot of this is through survey, monkeys, uh, then face-to-face -face interviews, um, re, you know, focus groups, uh, kind of key reflections. And that, I, I suppose, pulls together some of the key elements of the debrief process. And then when that's... Um, Pull together, and I suppose in a first draft, you know, our objectives is go back and just check and challenge that those elements are correct, and then that will ultimately inform some key decisions around uh, our process moving into the into the Paris Games itself. 
So yeah, that sounds like a lot of meetings first and foremost. Uh, but yeah, I suppose you, you're encouraging everyone to sit down and have a uh, an honest reflection on you know what went well, what didn't go so well. How do you fix those, or how do you work on that for for Paris? Yeah, I think. Look, I, I really think debriefs are, are really key components of of any performance system, and uh, you know, sometimes you can get caught up in the in the games itself, and you know, uh, things can take different directions. So, I think really uh, a debrief is a great opportunity to to reflect on the experience you've had, um, you know, both from a, a planning point of view, but also a personal experience point of view, and and you know, gain as many kind of perspectives as possible in that, and. Uh, you know, what I like about doing things correctly is, you know, like uh, you leave your stripes at the door. So you're coming in and you're trying to, to put down what, what actually trans, you know, what, what happened, I suppose, uh, at the games itself. You know, what were the root causes of issues uh, if they arose at all, you know, not just focusing on the symptoms. And then, you know, from that process, we identify lessons and we plan appropriately, which then is, we kind of learn from that. So a lot of times people would always say, oh, we learned the lessons there, you know, but when the same thing might crop up in the future, they do the same thing again. So we didn't really learn that much there. So um, I think a really good debrief is a very healthy um, part of any, uh, certainly performance system. Um, so it's finding out what you did well at the same time as, as things that are gaps. So I think the idea is to try to learn to be better in the future, not to shift something into a blame or to, you know, uh, as a, as a, mechanism to give out all the time but actually why do these things happen and really drill down into the aspects of it so then collectively as a as a group of of um, professionals in the space we can work together to try to make it better and ultimately to hear the athletes point of view and ultimately that's what we're here to do is to support the athletes in those environments so i think those elements um, are really important to join together because sometimes things can go off in isolation and there's assumptions made and actually they're not checked and then of course people can just go off in a planning you know mode to look after something but actually we we miss some of the key uh lessons that are being presented to ourselves so so i i think it's a really um a good time it's a really healthy um part of a performance system and it's really to throw everything onto the table so there's nothing hidden so when we go to plan for the future that we've tried to look at uh, all the different aspects that ultimately make up uh, a successful or or an unsuccessful sports team or system or an athlete journey. So, um, so you know, sometimes they're not done as well as they could be. So I think these things do take time. And ultimately, you need some space sometimes for your own reflections and that to kind of recover from the game's experience. Um, so what we like to, we, we call it, I suppose, in, in a, what we try to create is just a simple hot wash you know, and uh, so it's it, it might be just about the experience of the athlete on the day, some feedback straight after an event or just a collection of experiences. And we keep notes as we go through in these. Um, so we have a collection of information that we come back from a, an event or a games and then we can park it and we can head away for a couple of weeks, take a break, switch off and then come back. You can kind of look back at some of these things and realize, oh, well, I was just really tired there or you know, I made an assumption there that's not really relevant now. And, you know, so it's it's not reactionary, uh, I suppose, there. It's just a collection of, of things that happened. And then that allows you some space and time to come back in this context of sport and um, revisit these things and uh, look at it from a different lens at that time because um, you've had some space away from it. So you can be a lot more um, 
I suppose, proactive around your your conversations or or decisions or outcomes, I suppose, that might come out of that process. Yeah, it seems really comprehensive what you guys do. And it, it, it it's triggering a few things for me there as well. I, I, like I, even in my own personal life here uh, at home, yeah, we do try to, I won't call it a debrief, but it, you know, if you're not reflecting back on what you're doing on a day-to-day as a parent or as a, at work or even in my own training, you know, you're just doomed to repeat the same mistakes again. Like I have, well, someone I was talking to the other day is having a problem in work and it's the same problem after cropping up again that they had about two years ago. And there's been no reflection, no learning from the, the past experience that they had. And now it's doomed to repeat itself again. Yeah, yeah. So it is, it's it's tough and it's hard to challenge yourself and particularly working in a, in, a, in a big multidisciplinary team like you do to sit down and have those open and honest conversations. But like you said, without letting it turn into a blame game, but for it to be a growth and a, and a learning opportunity um, is very important. It is. And look, let's be honest as well like it's not as straightforward as we know that that's the case you know because you know people have different experiences that's that's the reality of of what we do and when you go through a journey some people will have you know the best time that they've ever had and the best performances other people will be a disaster and you know that's the nature of sport no matter how well you prepare so um so again it is having these conversations but actually making sure that everybody's in the right mindset that they feel comfortable to share, and a lot of the space we get into at times can can you know you, you have you're very vulnerable in that space you know because uh, you know not everybody wants to throw yourself quite bare there. Well, tell me what I did did right, or tell me what I did wrong, or you know. And um, so I, I think it's something look that we do quite often, but you know we definitely can get better at it. And I think we're we're trying to find a way that we can uh, collectively come together to, to brief something. And I think part of that process moving forward, in my opinion, is actually having a process in the first place. So when you're going into an event, you know what you plan to do and what you're trying to achieve, but you also know how uh, you're going to be debriefed afterward. You know, And uh, so I think a lot of those aspects um, we're probably not clear enough of right now, or certainly we're not probably in, in – in parallel silence so when we're going into those uh, pieces that everybody is a little bit more educated around the space um so we know what we're trying to look for uh post games um and the idea again is to make the experience better for the future so i think when we can leave as i said the stripes at the door when you come in then you can have sometimes more honest conversations because we're not robots and not everything goes perfectly well um so we like to look at it. We're in a people performance business and each person in that is an individual. So it's how clear are our roles and responsibilities is everybody staying in their lane. Uh, you know, simple things like that. Um, you know, when you drill into these aspects and do a deeper dive into it, you know, that's where the real nuggets come from. Um, and I suppose being comfortable in that space um, and allowing yourself to be, I suppose, vulnerable certainly as we grow and learn. And as we do this, we'll become better at it. And I think that's a space that I'm really interested in right now. Um, and and I suppose learning to do that better so collectively we can come together as a team, as a unit to do that. Um, and ultimately, I think we'll be better for the future if we if we can nail this. Well, we might come back to the future to talk about the future uh, towards the end of the episode. But just something you mentioned there that I wanted to to, to grab onto is, you, yeah, you said that everyone has different experiences. And looking at your own career, you have had an extensive career involved in, in Paralympic sport from being an athlete to being a coach, a manager, and now as a performance director. So 
I'm, I'm curious to know. Yeah, at the moment you, you're you're both a performance director and a coach. Uh, so how has your how how does your experience of the games differ as in your current role? Say if we look back to when you were an athlete. Oh yeah, God, it's um, yeah, it's, it's kind of night and day difference, but it's it's strange. Like each each games brings its own unique experiences. You know, um, the build up to it, the holding camps, the the journey, you know, the growth of, of, of you as an individual, whether it's an athlete or, or a coach or a performance director. Um, and I think you learn from them all. Um, so ultimately the games are the games then, you know, when you come together with a hundred and whatever, 60 odd nations and everybody lives together and all the different sports come together, it can be quite overwhelming, you know, certainly for your first games when you're there. And uh, so I suppose my vantage point now is unique because I've this this is my seventh games to be involved in. in, in incredible, games. incredible. Uh, it's it's weird. I'm learning all the time, but I, I will say what I, I probably had this time in Tokyo, despite the challenges around COVID, and it was a very, very different games. Um, I was very calm and I suppose measured, and a lot of people would, would comment back, then you, you, you're very calm here and you seem very relaxed around the space. And, and ultimately, I suppose I was because we spent so much time preparing for it. But I think that's the unique piece around experience, being at games and uh, and learning as you go along. So you feel more confident when you get to the major championships now and um, try to normalize them in terms of a sporting event. So when you strip away the noise, you know, you know, running 100 meters or uh, you know, swimming a hundred meters or whatever you might do is is the same. The only real difference is the obviously the environment and the the pressures and the stresses. And you know, you can see it uniquely from a number of our athletes who are you know going to the second, third, fourth games and how they grow, learn, and develop. Um, and ultimately, that was on show in Tokyo, whether it was Jason Smith, you know, retaining a you know astonishingly another gold medal um, from from his first one back in in Beijing in, in two thousand eight to you know, a very different performance in 2021, but actually all of the experience all wrapped into that single performance to, to dip on the line and win by that, you know, minute detail um, is, is, is the astonishing piece about performance sport, you know? So what I've learned, I suppose, through it is, I suppose, going, you know, wearing different hats, whether it's been an athlete going to try to win a, a gold medal back in Sydney in 2002 creating a, a system uh, specific around para swimming where I, where I learned that. So I was taking what I've learned as an athlete and as a coach and trying to build or create a system um, that would ultimately support athletes to get to the games. So that grows and develops over time. Um, so I think the vantage point allows you, I suppose, to look at things from a different lens, but at the same time to have some sort of familiarity about the space. Um, um, and I suppose, you know, you learn all the time and you probably don't realize even asking this question, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, somebody, you know, it didn't dawn on me, like, of course, I'm aware of it, but uh, I coached Ellen Keane, obviously, and she won a, a gold medal in, in Tokyo. And, uh, you know, the unique nature of winning a gold medal myself as an athlete and then coaching somebody to a gold medal. And I suppose that's unique in, its, in itself. And, and how, how do they compare? How does it compare yeah. coaching, winning a gold medal and coaching an athlete to a gold medal? Uh, they're very similar, you know, in some respects, uh, um, because 
you know, you don't, it, it, it doesn't happen over one year or two years. It, it took me uh, maybe tw- 12 or 13 years to get to that pinnacle of my career. And if I look back on Ellen's journey, she went to her first game, she's 13, you know, in 2008. And now 2021 steps onto that podium as a, as a gold medalist. So the, the journey is, is, is pretty much the same, you know, and, uh, but the experiences are very different, you know, as a, as an athlete, you know, you're, you, you control, I suppose, the narrative because once you get into the call room or, behind the block, you know, you're on your own at that stage and you've got to deliver that absolute performance. As a as a coach, you know, you you put all the tools there and you work with the athlete to hopefully they have everything they need to step up themselves in it. So uh it's it's uh they're very different but they're very similar, you know. So in terms of actually the goal setting or the process to go to be the best in the world and to win that gold medal is very, very similar. The, the only difference is as a as a, a coach you're flipping it on its head compared to an athlete you know and you're looking at it again from a different viewpoint but um I didn't think about that going into the games at all you know it was all about Ellen and her performance or the athletes and their performance or the other teams and their performance you know I never dawned to be going working with somebody to do something I had did as an athlete either of course you're aware of it but it's it's not a driver in the space at all um what about you? So obviously when you're an athlete and you have to be there, you have to be present in the moment during the, during the performance. As a coach, where are you? Are you, do you stand on the poolside watching or are you to take a step back from it? What, what, what way do you like to approach that? Uh, it's kind of strange. You know, I'd be very calm and collective around the space, you know, but uh, I, I think, look, your question and did, did we do everything correct? You know, did, you know, did we leave any stone on, you know, on turns in this space? Um, do we get the taper right? Are we ready? You know, what are the key markers we're looking for? What's the what's the mood? What's the attitude of the athlete like? You know, do, do we need to pull it back a little bit? Do we need to push it on? And I think the kind of magic in that space is actually the, the relationships that you, you build with an athlete and a coach. And it's the, the, the trust element in there in terms of because it's not a straight line. So you have lots of bumps along the road, as we know. So it's how do we adapt and respond to these things that make us different and ultimately you know we've probably trial had a trial and error all the way along here to get to this point and uh, so we design a plan we train around that space to try to make you know it possible and then ultimately where we were going into a territory together is I've never coached a gold medalist before and Ellen's never won a gold medal before and what it would take to do that is going to require a lifetime best performance so again we're stepping over that line into the unknown as well um so we can prepare as best we can but i think it's that trust and that's relationship that we create where the real you know performance happens i think you know because we can all be great around building a set or physiology and you know i wouldn't be an expert across physiology or even stroke mechanics you know and really good knowledge across those aspects but I'm, I'm piecing them together and then i'm opening it wider to a, a much bigger team of people physiology you know, strength and conditioning, performance analysis, medical, physio, you know. So there's a host of, of components that come into that athlete performance. And uh, I suppose as the coach, you become the, the you know, the conductor of that orchestra in many ways, trying to piece it together. And you're trying to learn from the expertise and the inputs of others and being open to that as well. And then for the athlete to know that they have a great support team around them. Um, and I think that's one thing that, you know, it's – it came home to me at the games that somebody like Ellen really acknowledged the team behind her performance and I, and her comments, uh, 
I didn't realize the time, but since you kind of learned this, this is not just my gold medal. This is my coaches. This is my, you know, everything. And, and I, we could really sense that as a, as a team in, in Tokyo um, for that specific performance or, or preparation that um, you, you piece all these elements together, you know, and a lot of it is trial and error, but there's robust planning behind it. And, uh, you know, you've got to build that and you've got to get the buy-in of the athlete as well, because ultimately that's their goals. It's their ambitions. It's their, um, it's their journey. And you help map that out. And obviously there's more elements to that, but I think the key to that is actually piecing all those pieces together and, uh, you know, and having the confidence, I suppose, to step out sometimes. I don't know everything here and that's actually okay. And uh, we're going to work to figure these things out. Um, and that takes time, I think, as well. So as I said, this journey with Alan, I've coached Alan now since 2013. And in that time frame, she's won medals now at World Championships, European Championships. Um, she won a medal in Rio. And I just felt we were never getting to that potential yet. You know, it was always, there was hints of it. There was moments. And there were great performances and, and uh, tremendous um, podium positions that, that Ellen would have had over the years. But this is when everything really came together. And I sense going into this games, we were really going to challenge for the top placing and that we can control what we can and manage that to the best of our ability. And obviously watching that daily and the maturity of the athlete to take on board all of those um, goals and processes in place and then deliver it, um, it's really hard to sum it up because it's been a journey for seven or eight years and maybe even longer, but it's it's it didn't happen by default. You know, it, it really happened by, by a process. Um, and we got a lot of things wrong in that process to really learn what we needed to do. And I think that's a healthy aspect of any performance sport. And it doesn't happen overnight and you've got to trust your team around you. Uh, to say no, no, no person is an island and you've got to work with people. Um, but again, we have to have a common objectives and goals that we're working towards and they're clearly communicated. So everybody knows what they're getting involved with and what we're trying to achieve. You've, you know, this. How you, you're not, you're not just a, you're, you are obviously a high performance coach. But uh, a lot of the listeners now might be just starting out on their coaching career. So mm. if we take it back a notch from the from the international competition and bring it back down to the day to day, you're mm. you're based out in the NAC for most of your coaching. Is that right? Mm. Yeah. So I suppose look, my my role is performance director over two sports and, and support others. So um, my role is really strategic planning around aspects of that it's not necessarily on the ground with each of those sports um i i've been a swimming coach for for a long long time you know i did this when i was an athlete as well and kind of learning so i've always coached uh, swimming and i suppose the aspect this the the some of the para athletes have you know decided to come and join the program that i would 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 have coached um based around uh, i suppose the, the journey to go together as an athlete and a coach. So I've been able to support that through different means. And then obviously it, it benefits Paralympic swimming because of the expertise I've had for, you know, 25, 30 years in the space. So the athletes would around the country would train in different club programs. Um, and uh, they'd work with a variety of different coaches in those home environments. So in the context of Ellen, um, 
Nicole and a, and a couple of others, Nicole Turner, we were able to create, uh, I suppose, an on-site piece here on the sports campus in in Dublin, whereby we'd have access to the Institute of Sports, we'd have access into the Aquatic Centre, and then the Paralympics Ireland would manage all aspects of the of the national programme towards the Games, and I suppose then the daily training environment, we also managed that simply through my own involvement or the or the para swim manager, Hayley Burke, as well. So we we had oversight of the entire program for a number of athletes, and in this case, the, the two, uh, Ellen and Nicole, who are podium contenders, and we support other elements in programs throughout Ireland. So Limerick, for example, a number of athletes are based in the high-performance unit in, in, in Swim Ireland and in University of Limerick, and then we have a number of athletes in Cork and up in Northern Ireland as well. So... We provide strategic supports to those programs and the athletes and the, and the supports. And then likewise, in athletics would be, again, athletes would be in clubs all over the country, based north and south. Um, so again, how we'd support the athletes is, is, is quite different for each individual. And then we come back collectively as a national team where we would train. But the, the key aspects is the environments where we can manage the daily training environment and, and I suppose... Uh, I don't say control. I don't like the word control. You know, you know. Obviously, we control the intensities and bits and pieces of that, but we manage the environment, I suppose. Um, and then that's where I think a real multidisciplinary team of sports science, strength conditioning, and so on really come into their fore there, because again, we're we're all collectively aligned towards the the key objectives, um, and that's not just for Nessie Paris. We have a number of athletes that are prepping for other competitions as well. So. Um, so come back to your question, I suppose, as a coach in, in that environment, um, people would claim I have a lot of expertise around para swimming, you know, and clearly I've had success in it. But again, um, different athletes come in with different impairments and, and, you know, the starting point there, I'd be scratching my head. How do I support this particular athlete? So, for example, it could be a visual impairment. Um, so I've never I've never coached an athlete with a with a, a visual impairment. Um Who's, who's maybe blind would need maybe two tappers at either end of the pool. And how do I, how do I communicate or coach an athlete who can't see uh, instructions or, you know, so the way we would tangibly coach sometimes, you know, you're, you're, you're relying on different cues and different subsets or somebody with a, a higher support needs, like a, uh, one of the lower classifications where they might have a, a spinal injury, for example, I've never coached an athlete with a spinal injury, you know. So, um, so the differences then and the diversity when in para sport um, across the system, I don't have expertise in, and I have knowledge and I have understanding of it. Uh, but if I'm tasked with coaching somebody in a mainstream program, and I use the word mainstream program, where people are, um, you know, where again, I don't like this word able-bodied and disabled you know i'm always interested in the ability of an individual so um if somebody's missing a limb or you know uh, you know I, I might have to think differently so they're they're an amputee in their leg and what does that mean and you know somebody is a, a dwarfism or whatever it might be and how do we how do we maximize this athlete's potential and then you know group them in to a club program with you know somebody that's six foot four, six foot five, and then you have somebody in here that's, uh, you know, four foot four, you know, and have a, a different impairments. And so thinking outside the box around that. So as a coach, I'm constantly challenged around um, 
my thinking, my processes. Um, and, you know, that's okay. That's a healthy place to be. So, so what, what I'm really, I think it's really interesting to hear you say that, like, obviously, like you said, you're going to be viewed as someone who has great expertise in the area. Um, but you, you said that you often find yourself, um, you know, going back to the drawing board when you're, when you're faced with a new athlete. So what about say uh, if one of the listeners out there who might be starting off on their coaching career and they might be approached to work with an athlete, uh, in a para sports, uh, but they've never worked with that type. Any any advice that you could give out to them? Yeah, sure. Look, I, I think, look, it's really rewarding. That's the first thing I would say, you know, and I think a lot of the hesitancy sometimes people is just, like I've just said, oh, like I wouldn't know where to begin or I'm not sure, I don't understand enough about how I can support you. And I think, you know, just even picking up the phone to, to somebody and, uh, you know, getting some guidance or advice. And it might be, in my case, I, I might, talk to a physiotherapist you know what's possible here what's not you know or we have a, a classification system which is basically how athletes are grouped within to their uh, impairment groups so it's based on functional ability so the best way i've always described it and uh, is you know like a heavyweight boxer is not going to be paired off with a, a you know a, a lightweight or something because the the actual competition itself wouldn't be fair so the idea of classification is to move athletes into similar levels of uh, functional ability so the competition is is fairer or transparent. Um, and within that then, um, you know, an athlete could get what they call a national classification here. And that's the first stage of a, of a journey for an athlete with a, from the Paralympic Games. And I know you've, you'd, you'd Anna on as one of your, your, your guests as well. So um, I, I find even classification quite complex um, because there's so much diversity in it and I rely on people to inform me and to help me so I, I think I would encourage people to you know to embrace it to take take it on sometimes you don't have the answers and I often say look great let's let's work here and see what's possible and we try to factor in then what we can do um, rather than what we can't do you know um, and I think uh, it's trial and error a lot of the time. It's engaging with the athlete. Sometimes it's engaging with their parents, depending on the age of the athlete, their impairments. You know, were they born this way? What were they involved in an accident? Did they acquire their impairment? So there's a host of considerations that are there. What age of the athlete? What stage of development have they got? Um, and what's appropriate? You know, and I think then our role as coaches is to provide the necessary uh, opportunities alongside the challenges to develop so exactly the same as an olympic pathway or any other sporting piece um so as i said a lot of times come in you know you gain this knowledge through experience but when i started off coaching athletes you know i was in a normal club program and then as i said athletes who had potential to be paralympic athletes you know joined the program and we've had many over the years with james scully for example be classed as an S5 and he wouldn't have what we call a very straightforward impairment, you know? And, uh, so really think it outside the box. Like how do I develop this athlete? How do I work with this athlete to, to go somewhere? Um, and again, a host of people informs my judgments on that. And I think experience comes sometimes you, you, you make better judgment calls. But again, when I'm starting off with any athlete, I don't have absolute, you know, authority or knowledge around every single impairment, because uh, it's not it's not necessarily possible in, in my field. So 
I, I seek out people with better understanding and knowledge around it. And then ultimately what I try to work with is, um, I mentioned earlier, we're in a people performance business. So, uh, you know, we, we, we support the individual to grow and develop and then they, and it happens to maybe accelerate through a sport like swimming or whatever it might be athletics, cycling, for example. So we're able then to build a profile for the athlete. And then what are the necessary challenges to, to grow and develop this person? Um, and then what opportunities do I need to look for here? Is it, is it training with likewise athletes? Is it taking them away to a, a camp? Is it specifically what type of competition do they need to go to, et cetera? Um, and you can see in some ways that we're able to fast track athletes across a Paralympic platform, sometimes a little bit quicker than we may do an, an Olympic athlete, depending on their impairment. Um, but the context there is uh, – is through that planning, through that, you know, feedback, through that conversations to, to, to know. Um, and a lot of the stuff we've learned is basically going on these international competitions, looking at other nations with bigger teams. Um, something that come across these, uh, elements of preparation and performance ahead of us, if that makes sense. And we've grown and learned over that certainly last say, decade. Um, but I, I'd encourage people to get involved. Don't be afraid uh, you know, even the experts, as we're called here in the space, don't know it all. We're still figuring things out. Um, and don't be afraid to pick up the phone and call another coach or even ourselves here. And um, a lot of people go, I don't want to disturb or I don't want to, you know, and I think most coaches are, are, are delighted, you know, to to sit down and have a cup of coffee or make a call back to somebody or help somebody to to improve their own knowledge around the space to educate themselves around it. And ultimately why we all do this as coaches really uh, is to support the athletes, you know? And uh, so by, by that type of mentorship or support, um, I think is, is how you learn and how you grow. And I have to say, even in my own experience here, people seem sometimes, Oh, I won't ask or I won't say, or, you know, um, so I'd say, don't be afraid of it. Try to, pick up the phone, try and get involved, try and um, even volunteer around the space if it, if it um, interests you. Um, and, and ultimately, as I said, I've, I've been very successful at, at having a number of Paralympic athletes training alongside Olympic athletes across different sports, modern pentathlon, uh, youth Olympics, junior Olympics, and they train side by side. What you might need to do within the training session could be very, very different, but actually we can all train within the same block Um uh, so, for example, we've had modern athletes train alongside the Paralympic athletes. We've had, you know, um, people prepping for Olympic Games training in lanes beside Paralympic athletes. So there's a lot of synergy across the space. But actually what you might have to do is adapt your, your training session. Um, so as an example, in swimming, you know, if you're doing repeats of, of a distance with a para-athlete, you might drop the distance that they do, but it'd be off the same time. So we're actually targeting the same energy system, the same time a task etc but it's appropriate to their level of uh, ability um and that's what i would say is some of the adaptions you have to make um but that that again is just it's coaching so it's using your toolbox to kind of think sometimes outside the box um to inform the actual training session and then how do you build it into a longer term development piece for an athlete um and again that's just coaching but just having the the confidence to be vulnerable in the space and I don't know, but let's work together on this, you know, and that's a starting point. 
Yeah, it's interesting to hear you say all that because you know it's. I remember uh, some of my first involvement with Paralympics back in uh, two thousand and seven. I was uh, a little bit anxious going into it, um, and I'm, I'm drawing a blank on his name now. The, the throws coach for Beijing and for London. Uh, I remember he pulled me aside, and I, I had made I had said something slightly incorrect, and he pulled me aside, and he goes, "Don't worry, you'll get picked up on that. You'll make the mistake once, and you won't make it again." Yeah, you know, yeah. and that, that that stuck with me. Just don't be afraid to make the mistake. It, it, it's it, it'll be okay. And then there's a, we have a module on, on called the Paralympic Athlete that one of our degree courses study, and there's a section in that where we talk about coaching para athletes. Um, but I think it's unusual because all the advice that that's pulled together for that, it's just common sense for coaching any athletes, yeah, yeah. really, you know, it's, it's, it's the coaching's coaching, like you say, at the end of the day. Yeah, no, it, it absolutely is, you know, and, and, you know, the, it's about how your ability to adapt. That's the bottom line. And again, you're dealing with people. So when you, when you put that to the forefront of any of your, your, your thinking, you know, you're, you've come a long way. And the adaptions you make, um, again, a lot of it can be trial and error um, because sometimes there's not a ready-made, um, you know, booklet about an impairment and how do I interact in this and how much training is required and what's necessary. But, you know, some of the elements of that, Bruce, as you as you remember, is getting some of the athletes from, you know, training once a week to actually, no, no, you need to train six days a week, you need to train twice a day and, you know, there's, there was a reluctance, and we've come a long way since then. Um, but a lot of the time, I would find a lot of para athletes maybe don't have the same opportunities in the in the wider scheme. You know, because of um, probably access to like you know venues or or club programs, or you know the reality. Sometimes you, you show up and there's 25 kids and something, and you know, and uh, how do we how do we maximize your support and what do you need as your support needs? Um, so a lot of time, uh, from my experience, a lot of athletes don't get the necessary uh, opportunities and likewise then don't appropriately develop uh, along a, a, you know, a pathway around getting the right stimulus in there. And I think where all coaches could do, you know, and, and look, there's a, there is a difference, you know, at times between what's required for a para-athlete and what's required for, for example, an Olympic athlete and you can you can strip that all the way back to grassroots, you know. So, I, I think that's healthy to understand that as well. Do you know what I mean? So, um, maybe you need more more of a, of a hands on approach where you might need more one to one contact, or you might need two coaches specifically to support the athlete, you know. And that's the nature of your planning. But again, you, you know, you you don't know that sometimes until you actually step into that well well can i help you and what do you need you know and uh so it's not charity do you know what i mean it's 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 a it's a development pathway for for athletes and i think you're dead right it it is ultimately it's coaching and you know you might have somebody that would swim you know i don't know break 60 seconds and you know and that might be oh you're, you know what are, what are you 13 years of age or something 60 seconds and maybe you know, on a, on a time space, but on, on a Paralympic athlete, if you got the 60 seconds in that class, you'd be a world record holder, you know? So it's just understanding how uh, it fits into this, into the various system um, and ensuring that you could have an athlete in your program. That's never going to actually run as fast as an Olympic athlete or swim as fast as the Olympic athlete, but in Paralympic sport within their classifications, they, they could be on a, a pathway to become a world-class athlete. And, 
if you have the necessary engagements with that athlete, um, then hopefully you could help them on their way. And I just find sometimes the opportunities are lost because maybe the athlete doesn't get into the right club program or with the right coach and therefore misses out on, on various opportunities there. Um, and then we, we need as, as a coaching community sometimes to get better in terms of how we communicate, how we support. And uh, I think we are doing that and particularly in para sport, you know, we, we, we are getting a lot of, of calls from coaches and, they're looking to seek some of these uh, insights and then ultimately, look, I can't provide this environment for Bruce, for example, to develop because I can only give them three sessions a week, but they need to do six or nine. And uh, can we help bridge that gap? Or, you know, so I think we're moving massively along on the journey to where we need to go. But uh, I think we need to have more coaches involved because coaches ultimately make it all happen in that daily environment. And, uh, we need more coaches to to step into that space and to get involved. And getting involved is the first step. And uh, it's a very rewarding and very rich um, time to be involved in this. And, you know, it's uh, I think you learn so much around even working with athletes with an impairment. You're missing your arm. Okay, well, what effect does that have here? Or, you know, um, you're, in a, you're in a chair, for example. So uh, how do we even get into a pool? Where do you leave your chair? Uh, you're an amputee coming in for the first time where do i where do i take off my leg or you know all these other aspects all right i never even thought of that you know so nowadays i just take that for granted but certainly when you're starting off you're kind of oh right i never even thought of that you know and uh so a lot of fun involved in it there's a lot of humor as well and uh as as you mentioned in your own experiences sometimes we can be apprehensive getting involved but once you step over that you know threshold in there you know um as I said, you learn very quickly and a lot of the athletes themselves are some of the best coaches around. They'll tell you, you know, don't, don't mind that or this is what you call it or, you know, so there could be great humor around it and a great appreciation of, of what you're working with. Yeah, I definitely look back with extreme fondness on my time with Paralympics Ireland. I had a case of FOMO now when when, uh, when Tokyo was on this year. It definitely felt like I was missing out. Um, but I think it's it's good to hear you say that. Like I've heard you say and I've read a couple of interviews with you, Dave, over the last couple of years where you've said, you you know, you think the future of parasport need more coaches to get involved and, and piggybacking on what you just said there. For anyone who's listening now who might be, you know, starting off on a coaching career, just look, seek for opportunities to volunteer and get involved. And it can also, it can also almost, sorry, like you said, it can be a fast track for some athletes. It can almost be a fast track for coaching because you're, you're, you're challenged in ways that you wouldn't be challenged and you learn very, very rapidly um, uh, on the job by, you know, so volunteer, get involved and, uh, and, and opportunities will present themselves. Sure. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. And I, and I think, look, that's one of the, one of the key pillars, I suppose, in the new high performance strategy of Sport Ireland that we're all, you know, working towards in a high performance community, is um, is enriching, I suppose, world class coaching, but coaching at all levels, you know, to to get to that place. So I definitely would feel that's some of the biggest improvements on a global level in Paralympic sport is is the expertise within the coaching uh, elements, and um, and you can see that, you know, from games to games that you go to now, the standards are rising all the time. Um, both, um, obviously as the athletes, their performances are getting better, but definitely the supports, the coaching, uh, the expertise that's around that space is improving 
uh, dramatically. Um, and I think we need to get into a, a place here around certainly high performance sport where coaching is a profession, you know, um, so you're not working, you know, a day nine to five or whatever, and then coming in and trying to coach somebody to a world-class level because that was, that was something that I, I, from back in Beijing, I can remember that a lot of the coaches that were involved were voluntary coaches. Yeah. Now I, I said, I wouldn't be asking any tricky questions, but where, where are we at now? Is, is it, are, are we still more volunteers or are there more professional full-time coaches involved? Is it sway, swing in one way or another? Um, it's, it's look, it's evolving. That's probably what I'd say, but like, I, I think we're, we're, we're still a long way off our international competitors in terms of the improvements that they've made in their, um, I think there's gaps there. I think we know that that we need some world class coaches in in the system, and I think I think we've some tremendous coaches uh, definitely in the Paris system in Ireland. But maybe why we're not becoming world class in some respects is that we just don't have the adequate time a task to become world class. So I think we've the capability, but what we don't have is the capacity. So we're going to work now at a high performance level in that that it's the daily training environments, the six days a week, it's the 49 weeks of the year it's the international camps and competitions travel um and then you've got your your life as well your family and other aspects in it so um each games will come and go and come and go but it's it's the ability to 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 have the adequate time at task to do that job because it's not just the delivery of the session you know the two-hour block a session or you know depending on our, our sports now we'd have double sessions we could have treble sessions throughout the day and interaction with a service team of physios and physiologists and the wider support piece so um and that's just to support necessarily one athlete you know or or two athletes and that's what it takes um at that level so there's planning there's monitoring there's analysis there's debriefs you know the things we've spoken about already um so from that perspective uh, I think that's what's slightly holding us back. Um, it is recognised in the high performance strategy, so we're all working towards that as a collective in Sport Ireland and Paralympics Ireland through the national government bodies. Um, but I think depending on, on on what sports in para context, we've still a long way to go to have a number of world-class coaches working professionally in the system with, with their role as a coach and not maybe multitasking across different roles. So we, we haven't got there yet, but we're we're on that pathway, which is which is a start. And I think we've we've acknowledged that there are gaps in the Irish sporting system, but specifically in the para system. Um, I think we need to give that opportunity to to coaches to to decide to use it as a career, even and to go full time into that space and to be uh, afforded that um, that opportunity. Yeah, it'd be amazing if that could come through. Dave, I'm, I'm, I'm just keeping an eye on the time. I knew that we'd just end up nattering away about all sorts. And I feel I'd probably get two or three episodes out of you if you, if you let me. We haven't even talked about your, your career as an athlete at all. But there is, there's one question I want to ask about your own career, Dave. And that's Sydney. I was, I didn't realize in Sydney when you won your gold medal that it was a dead heat between you and another athlete. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I, I suppose. Look, that's my greatest sporting achievement as a, as an athlete. But it's it was also, um, you know, it feels how close it was to being um, not a failure. You know what I mean? But you, you, I trained to be a gold medalist. You know, and I'd set my goals there, and I'd won the world championships and European championships on the way up to it. I'd broken world records, um, and I broke my own ones again and again. So going into Sydney, I was the favourite. 
to win that gold medal. Um, but I suppose the weight of expectation around that medal uh, kind of, you know, weighed on me, I suppose. And uh, I wasn't uh, as confident when I got to that space, you know. Um, and that's just between the heats and the finals because leading up to it, I was as fit as I ever was, as prepared. And uh, But going into that particular race, for whatever reason, between the heat and the final, um, I think I used up a load of emotional energy around the space. Um, so when I got to the event, I felt tired, you know, um, and I didn't realize that at the time, but you can, you can see that now looking back and, uh, you carry a bit of baggage around that space, but, um, in the, in the final itself, it's probably one of my only races that I don't remember the much about the actual race when it started at the finish. Um, but I just trusted my instincts around it and just you know, went for it, you know, and, uh, and thankfully we, we, we had a dead heat, but, but my, uh, my direct rival, I suppose, a German athlete, Holger Kimmich, he was closing me in stroke by stroke all the way down. So I led all the way through the race. And, uh, you know, I'd broken the Paralympic record in the heats in the morning and was in a really good place. And uh, I went out faster than that split in the first half of the race. And uh, But as I said, I've used up so much emotional energy. By the time it came back, I had nothing left in the tank. So it's just drawing it to a close. So if I had been another one more stroke, I would have won a silver medal, not a gold medal. So it's a, it's a unique piece to, to tie that they can't separate you to win a gold medal. And it actually happened in the Olympic Games in Sydney as well. In the 53, there was a tie for uh, the gold medal. And it doesn't happen very often. I've never, I've never heard of it happening. I wasn't aware yeah. that it, that happened in, in, in the Olympics in Sydney either. So just to, for, for anyone listening, you finished precisely at the exact same time as the, the, the your your opponents and they couldn't separate you. Yeah, well, I don't know whatever the measurements are now, but they, they it was it was enough that it couldn't be separated. So both athletes shared a gold medal, and uniquely, then the the silver medal is is forfeited if you like, and then the the, the bronze medal is given. So it's two goals and a bronze, and uh, yeah. of course you both national anthems, and you know, and, and the joke at the time was, you know, uh, oh, you're after throwing our timings of events, and as you know, Olympic Paralympic Games. Everything runs to the to the second, you know, and uh, so adding in another medal, you know, another national anthem, and everything kicks everything back by whatever two minutes. And look, it's it's uh, it's great to look back at it, and it was only brought to my attention in in uh, in Tokyo. I didn't watch the particular race or class because we we'd nobody in this one, you know. And uh, but the time I swam, my best times I've ever swam would have finished on the podium in Tokyo as well. So. Um, so it's it's unique in that respect. There's all these little facts and little things coming out now after the games, and uh, you know. So of course I can't swim like that now, or I'm not. I was going to say, if you still no, got it, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's just nice to see because I suppose that's look. We we were probably ahead of our time in in some aspects in sports science and preparation back then, um, and really didn't know what what I was certainly as an athlete and coaches. We didn't know what we we're doing. And then ably supported by a team at the early stages of the national coaching and training center at the time, uh, Caroline McManus around physiology and Giles Warrington, and and these um, people were part of my support team, and we were literally learning about impairments and classes, and you know, and we just threw it all in together and, and did a tremendous job. So I, I think even in para sports, that's where I was able to take a lot of that knowledge and and just the experience of working with a team of professionals around that space 
to to impact my career as a coach and ultimately as a performance director and understanding the the, the role that science um, and different practitioners can play in a modern day high performance system um, and the support they can give to those athletes and we've discussed that as part of that team around Ellen but you know you could say that around the, the success of the paracycling team the, the success about the athletics as well um, and as a host of professionals that are really supporting the athletes in a day-to-day environment and that's what's making the difference now at international level so um, so it's just unique trying to you know I haven't really thought about this bar this conversation but you know, it's probably warranted a, a deeper dive into it as well to see, well, what have you really learned along all of these chapters of games to games? Because we're still relevant and, you know, going to the Tokyo Games and planning to win medals and achieving those medals. We've, again, seven medals across swimming, cycling, athletics. You know, it's a, it's tremendous. It's three games in a row where we've we've won medals. Um, so obviously we know how to do things really, really well at that level. Um, and the standards are growing up all the time. So we're, we're breaking personal best times. We're swimming fastest times in the world or cycling or breaking world records. And then the next race, there's a, that world record is broken again by, you know, so the standards are just moving. So we're, we're evolving as a nation as well to, to, to still have success at that level, which I think is, is incredible really. And it's probably something we don't stop sometimes and reflect enough upon um, and that's what I'm hoping now through our kind of debriefing that we we really capture, you know, what what has made us successful, particularly going into this games. What can we learn from that experience to drive us forward into Paris? Because we're 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 less than three years away from that games now. Um, but it's it's a it's a really rewarding place to be in right now because we've had that success, and uh, I think we just haven't. I've come to terms the wrong word, but we just haven't um, taken it all on board yet uh, to to impact our journey into Paris. Yeah, well, I think from from an outsider's point of view, now Tokyo was a huge success, and there's, uh, I certainly feel like there's there's excitement that can be brought excitement and potential. I think potential is a good word brought forward into yeah. into Paris. And uh, from that potential, I think excitement. I'm really keen to see what uh, what you guys can produce. I think that's you know we, we've had a, a decent chat there, Dave. We've come almost full circle back to back to talking about debriefs and um, and and and, and the lead into Paris. So we might park it there, but I have a feeling I'll be revisiting you uh, at some point to catch up because there's plenty we didn't get to talk about today. <laughs> Uh, that we uh, that we might touch off again on another day. You're definitely a, a two or three episode man. Yeah, listen, I, I would love that, you know, and I, and I think, as I said, you've it's such a, a breadth of, of experiences, I suppose, across the, the piece, and uh, you take it for granted because that's what you do. So sometimes you just need to step out and maybe think about it from a different place. But listen, I, I really enjoyed the conversation, Bruce, and as I said, anything we can do, or again, any of the students that are listening that want, you know, we're, we're happy to, to engage and chat through at any stage and uh, and come down, I suppose, um, to you guys as well and, and have a wider uh, conversation at any time yeah yeah well, now that we can start maybe doing things in person again that'd be great and yeah just to, to highlight that to the students that there is a very open door uh, up at not just in Paralympics Ireland but up in the Sports Institute don't be afraid to ask to seek out opportunities volunteer get involved that's how I got started off back in uh, a number of years ago I, I did a bit of volunteer work and that led from one to, thing to another and the next thing you know you're at London 2012 yeah, you know yeah, yeah. that's how it happens yeah. It is, so, it, it is. It is exactly it. And as I said, just 
just get involved, you know, and uh, certainly open your eyes, I suppose, to the potential that's out there. And there's, there's a there's a tremendous learning opportunity there, I think. And, uh, you know, the more people that can get involved, the, the better as a nation we will become, you know, and uh, certainly um, move towards the challenges that our international competitors are throwing down at us. Brilliant. Brilliant. Dave, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much for talking to me today. I really appreciate your time. No problem. Thanks, Bruce. I really enjoyed my chat with Dave. It was great to catch up with him. I was fortunate enough to work with Dave when he was competing in Beijing and again when he was the swim team manager in 2012. He really is a great guy with an outstanding career. As he mentioned, Tokyo was his seventh games that he has competed or worked at and his experience is pretty much unrivaled. Here are my three take-home points from chatting with Dave today. It was refreshing to hear him say that he often feels like he doesn't know the answer to something. Nobody has all the answers and anyone who's honest will tell you that they are learning all the time. It's okay to feel unsure or even overwhelmed at times, which leads me on to my second point. Don't be afraid to ask for help or guidance from those around you. It's not a sign of weakness to ask for help. Instead, it can demonstrate that you are genuinely interested and invested in what you are doing. Finally, there are opportunities out there in para-sport and beyond. Dave said one of the key things for the future of para-sport is getting more coaches involved. Seek out ways to volunteer, help out or just get involved. You will learn and often, with Ireland being so small, it is these opportunities that can lead on to employment. Okay, that's it for today. If you've made it this far, you might do one more thing and share the episode. It's a great way to spread the word and build our audience. As always, if you'd like to get in touch, then you can catch me on Instagram at B underscore Wardrop. I welcome any feedback or suggestions that you might have for the show. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you in the next episode.